ina koto katoa ko fakaroi ka mane itirane kahori ano e fano noa nga maunga kahori e hanga e kwe te finua metiao ko kwe te atua no tua fakariri ake tonu atu itilain park church Etune, etihahi o tikaraiti, etune, etune, etune. Ina tanga tfinua, tena koto, tena koto, tena koto katoa. Kinga kaiako, ko Dean, ko Gina, tena koroa. Ko Aaron Tokoingoa, noreda, tena koto, tena koto, tena koto katoa. Uh, that little whakatoki, uh, the sort of proverb part was Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So it was something like uh, five weeks ago, or some, I, I don't know exactly that I shared the first part of what was to be like a week, then another week, sequel. Um, on called the soil and the seed, and uh, just thanks to Dean for um, allowing a little break in between. Uh, there were some circumstances that meant that one week and then the next week didn't quite work out. And uh, my aim with the episode called the soil was to describe, I guess, the secular world uh, that we live in to provide perhaps some new insights, maybe some new lenses through which we can see and understand what's happening. And this week called The Seed is, is moving and working on from that uh, to invite us to update how we th- what, what we think about when we try to reach our culture with the hope of the world. Uh, my super biblical sounding title uh, is from the parable of the sower. And we'll read that again in a little bit. That is, is the crux of, of what I'm trying to communicate. But because it has been a while and... Um, I have seen some visitors here today, so hopefully this is a companion uh, piece to the intri- uh, to the initial, rather than like a, I didn't hear the first bit, so I won't get the second bit. Hopefully there'll be something useful. But because of the the, the drifting fog that comes in and we forget um, in the busyness of life, I did want to start with like a little bit of a generous uh, introduction slash recap. So. We started off with Jesus' number one first cab off the rank parable, the parable about listening. The parable is so important that it is placed first uh, in Jesus' ministry in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And we're going to read that in full again in a moment. The second thing that we talked about was the theme, the biblical theme of exile. We talked about that feeling of dislocation when you collide with another culture and it sends you into a spin. Or we also considered the very slow change of culture that in the dailiness and the busyness of life, of being a parent, of being married, of having a job, of raising a family, of, of getting established in a career, it can be um, years before we, we, we raise our head up again to take a deep breath and we look around us and we see, wow, culture has really changed. And we saw ourselves in Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Jeremiah 29. The nation had been sent off to exile and God asked Jeremiah to write an encouragement to the captives. The nation hadn't listened to warning after warning about the consequences of not acknowledging God through the way they lived. And the long promised defeat had come. The exile had been shocking for those who went through the war and the famine and the long walk and the captivity part of things. But Jeremiah was encouraging the people to put down roots in the land, to marry and to give in marriage, to have children, to prosper. 
And we considered that many of us uh, might be like those uh, third generation, those grandchildren of the captives, where Babylon was the only environment that we'd ever lived, that this secular world was the only air that we'd ever breathed. To the captives, to these, to these third generation captives, ba- Babylon was normal. Rather than seeing that as exile, they had to work hard to see uh, their culture around them and to see something else that would have taken deliberate effort. I invited us to make some deliberate effort of our own to see and consider some of the things that we take for granted, to, to take a look at the Western world that we live in. And um, I, I described a few ideas that Charles Taylor has uh, written about, and perhaps they were a bit complicated, and I used too few words, and maybe I was more confident that I understood them in full than maybe I did. But nonetheless, it was trying to communicate something simple, that things uh, that when we consider interacting with our world and sharing the hope of the world, that it takes more than thinking about beliefs. It's not a contest of beliefs necessarily, but we need to consider what makes something believable to a late modern person. And if we do that, and if we consider that, then we can make sure that we are prepared to plant the good news in a way where it is most likely to germinate. We finished with Leslie Newbegin and his treatise on the type of person who has a chance of converting the West, the Christian who is steeped in the formative practices which reorder their joys, the Christian who works, walks with God through pain and suffering, and the Christian with plain old gospel resolve, come what may, I will follow Christ. So turn to the person next to you and say, longest introduction ever. <laughs> Whew. That wasn't the talk. I mean, there's still a talk to come, and you already had to listen to that. Flip. So would you like to turn to or Google for Mark chapter 4, and we'll read the parable of the sower, verses 1 through 20. says this, again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears... Let him hear. And then skipping to verse 13, it says, the disciples asked for an explanation. Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path. When the word comes, uh, when the word is sown, let me try again. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Our street has had a, a miniature outworking of this parable over the last three years that Anna and I have lived in Pinehaven. Uh, an older gentleman has been attempting to grow this beautiful, luscious, dreamy emerald lawn. And we've watched him as time and time again, he has sown or soaked the ground, done a little sprinkle of seed, or I don't, we haven't seen him do that part, sort of. Presumably he has, and then waited as uh, he hopes for these little beautiful green tentacles to come up and, and produce this amazing, amazing, delicious lawn. Uh, he, he ropes it off from the stampeding hooves of pedestrians who have a chance to, um, you know, stamp along the edge. We don't, he doesn't want that. And uh, we've watched him as, I guess, for a couple of weeks, he's given his lawn a good chance, maybe a month. And I don't know if he's got some sort of like, you know, he's sulking or he's just got this hope, but his lawn has not eventuated and he has sprayed the, the area that he doesn't like and he has tried again and again and again and again. And his problem, as far as we can tell from the outside looking in, is that the soil is just backed so hard by the sun that it actually has no chance of producing lovely grass that his soft dream, his dream of a soft lawn will remain a dream. So this passage we read isn't, isn't about evangelism. It's what people do when they hear God's word and how they respond. But um, we are invited to take part in God's, uh, God's um, sowing of, of the seed, of the word. I'm going to get back to that later. That was a bit confusing, eh? Um, when I was reforming my career last year, I got some really high-powered advice. I met with a friend's father at a fancy hotel, and he bought me a fancy lunch, like off a menu for lunch. Whew. Sliders. <laughs> and uh, we talked through my CV. He, uh, you know, he looked at the usual things, asked the usual questions, qualifications, that sort of thing, interests. And I described those things on my CV. Uh, but I'd also described the things uh, and the time and the energy that I had spent here uh, at Lane Park uh, investing in youth, in the youth group. I'd used words like ministry, like biblical formation, pastoral care. As he read through these bits, his red pen was sprinting through the lines, making suggestions, crossing things out. And his feedback uh, as somebody outside of any sort of Christian interest uh, was really, really helpful. Um, and it was also sort of quite scathing. And he said that words like those words that I, I described uh, are associated in the marketplace with perhaps some of the big challenges that the Catholic Church faces or um, abuses in other areas. And so we reworded things. We used things like community development, mentoring, that sort of stuff. It was excellent advice, which I was grateful for. But that just reinforced to me the change uh, and the impression that Christianity has um, among the marketplace and among people today. Whereas it once was considered virtuous, um, I guess it's now considered anti-freedom, um, anti-care, restricting, out of date. 
I was really grateful for his honest perspective on what those words meant. And it does take care to navigate how, um, it does take care to be careful about how we navigate in, in the world today, in secular society. It seems to me as though the pressure is greater than ever to confine our religious life to the strictly private area of life. The idea of good for you but keep that to yourself is something that I feel really strongly and I'm sure that many of you might feel, have felt the same thing. So my hope today is just to share three things uh, that I think about and that have been helpful in uh, thinking about how can I be part of cultivating the soil with these people that I live with, that I work with, that are in my life. How can I cultivate that soil? How can I make sure that as far as it is um, as far as it is up to me, as far as I have the opportunity, that I am making that soil as, as rich as possible for the opportunities to plant the seed when they come along. Is that okay? So the first thing that has helped me has been a new definition of secular. In popular thought, uh, secular generally refers to like the world we've got now minus all of that stuff that we used to believe in. The world we've got now minus um, sort of gods and that sort of stuff now that we're enlightened and we've got rational scientific um, means of understanding things. But I'm sure that you've also realized that this, that the secular and the scientific understanding hasn't done away with people's um, heart and need for, for spiritual things. You know, I'll, I'll hear people at work saying, I just, you know, I've, after a really busy, stressful day, you know, I just need to go home and meditate for a while, then I'll be fine. I'm sure that you know people who have gone on retreats that um, get a whole lot out of, out of yoga and all of those sorts of things. I, I just see the spiritual longing still in people. And we dabbled a little bit with Charles Taylor last time, and I just want to risk sharing another insight of him, of his. And his definition of secular, or his new understanding to me of secular, is this, a society where religious belief or belief about God is just one option among others. The secular world is a world in which everything is contestable, a world in which everything is contestable. I'm sure you've felt this contestability of ideas. For Christianity, there um, are many things that have been considered sort of central fixed tenets of, of our faith for 2,000 years that are currently under heavy examination, that are being reconsidered. And I think that that is pushing a lot of people um, who that presses on into the Bible to understand what the Bible really says, and that's a really good thing. But it is, it is a challenging time. Someone put it like this, that our faith is riddled with doubt. There are things that we're not sure about. But so the modern person's doubt is riddled with faith. And so this contestability idea has been really helpful to me. It means that when people challenge the foundations or assumptions that I've got, and it causes me to do some research and to make sure I have a good explanation for that. It also gives me permission now to, to examine the foundations of other people, to, to ask questions where um, maybe it wouldn't have been acceptable to ask questions in the past. So the first thing about cultivating soil for sowing seeds is to understand that everything these days is contestable. If our ideas are contestable, so are the ideas and the conclusions of others. The second thing I look for is uh, what people see as the ultimate thing. 
ultimate, the ultimate thing for the Christian is God. But for most people, the ultimate is something else. And that's not necessarily something that they have acknowledged or put in those words or truly understood. But it, it is something else. You know, I've, when people work together, generally they, they have agreed sort of tacitly that they are, um, we're, we can walk together up until here and we can agree on these types of things like how to run this business or how the society should have sewer systems and that sort of thing. But they put aside the, the ultimate. Um, I joined a Waiata practice group at work and there's um, a lot of the Māori Waiata and Karakia are based on Christianity and people are at pains to say, you know, where it says God, you just put in your own answer for that. And I think that's good and appropriate and that sort of thing. But that's, that's sort of what I mean. We've, we've agreed that we can come this far together, that it's good to sing waiata and, and a prayer in general. But then the ultimate, who God is, for example, is something that we've agreed just to leave to each person. But the, the thing that's so important about, about looking for, I'm looking for what people see as ultimate, because when people um, have no concept of the eternal, the ultimate conviction, uh, when people's, I'll read it out. Uh, when people's ultimate conviction is that there is nothing eternal, then they're more prone to make absolutes out of the temporary things. I'm going to try and read that again. <clears throat> but what people see as ultimate is really important because when your ultimate conviction is that there is nothing eternal, then you're most prone to make an absolute out of temporary things. So that's, that's re- been really helpful to me to understand the value, for example, that people place on experiences. Uh, I hope it helps you to think about and empathize with how people have such great passion for causes, maybe causes that you don't think are that important. You can understand, oh, wow, we're on the grounds of the ultimate here with that person. That's not just this idea of organizing society or, or, or keeping the peace or whatever. That, that is really the ultimate thing for that person. Is that helpful? Is that like a decently helpful idea? Hopefully. Whew. One of the really cool things about Easter camp is that a lot of the time is unstructured. And so this allows for the consumption of many, 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 many donuts with caramel sauce. It also um, allows time for us to go to optional seminars um, that are put on by partner organizations like Youth with a Mission, World Vision, Open Doors and those kind of organizations. Anna and I have got a friend called Alyssa who's a year, I shouldn't have said her name. Oh well, uh, she's keeping it nice and you know. Anyway, who is a year 12 at Hutvilly High. And um, she is coming to share at youth this term. And she went to a seminar run by Scripture Union at Easter Camp about praying for people. The presenter gave a teaching on prayer and then people got into groups and went off and got started. During the prayer time, she felt God speak to her about a girl with green hair. And when we talked to her, she was so excited because she had run into a person, a girl with green hair, and prayed for her. And after praying a few times, that person got really excited because some of the pain that she'd been suffering on um, had gone away. That's cool, eh? That's a cool story. But I want to I ask you and invite you, how did, it, how did it feel to hear that story? I want you to invite you to think about the parts that you found plausible because maybe you didn't find the whole story plausible. As you were listening, you were either green-lighting or red-lighting each of the little steps along that way. It is a real story, by the way. It's not a, this is not a, an illustration. 
So a person went to camp and heard about prayer. Most people will give that one a green light, that it's plausible that somebody went to a Christian camp to hear about prayer. A person got into a group and prayed, probably another green light. It's probably likely that did happen. The next is, is where a person felt that God spoke to her about a girl with green hair. Depending on where you're coming from, that might be the point at which you think, ah, oh, not sure about that. I might give that part a red light. If you've had an experience of God or hearing from God, then maybe you've given that a green light again. The last part of the story, somebody getting relief from pain through prayer. Again, if you've experienced something like that, then maybe that's a green light, but maybe it's a red light. You don't know the person. You don't know the circumstances. Maybe you don't know me, and I'm just telling a story up here. Those things are really important to to think about. Uh, I know Alyssa. uh, I've spent time with her. Um, I know that she's really quiet and reserved and chooses her words really carefully. But this time when she was retelling us the story, she was really, really excited. She was fizzing. Um, I've had an experience of being healed before, and I'm convinced that God is in the business of healing people. Now, I wasn't there with her as it took place. I didn't talk to the person, so I, I, I wouldn't stake my life on it. But I'm throwing up green lights for that story. The whole point of that little exercise is to communicate the last filter that I've found really helpful to think about. Thinking about what makes things plausible for people. Uh, In the past, um, a uh, a modern person was likely to be swayed with logic. Uh, The test might have gone something like this. This is true, step one. You'd say this is true. Step two, if it's true, then you should believe it. And then step three, If you believe it, now you must live it. But with uh, thinking about plausibility and postmodern people, the order um, is reversed. So we might start with, is it livable? If it's livable, then it's also believable. And if it's believable, then it's also true. I just think that's such an important thing to think about as we try to cultivate the soil for the gospel message. Think about what is making um, how you say and speak to people, um, how you're making this. Is this making it plausible for somebody or is it not? And I think that practices, Christian practices like hospitality, really break these um, plausibility structures down. When people can see that our lifestyle actually works, they're able to green light areas where in the past it might have been a red light. Our Christian friends need to become friends with our non-Christian friends. We need to be part of the same community to be able to see that our life actually works. Uh, Getting back to the parable that we read, I'm sure that you've noticed that the key for all of this uh, is listening. Listening allows you to notice that when uh, your colleague uses the term babies to describe their children over and over again. They're babies that are named uh, gender-neutral terms like Max and Charlie and says words like, how's your one doing when you've said that you have a boy and his name's Levi. Listening enables, enables you to respect their view, to build a listening rapport, to avoid an awkward conversation. doesn't mean that you agree to refer to your children differently, but it cultivates the soil for a future conversation. 
Listening allows you to recognize when the young girl at the cafe that you go to every week uh, has said for the fourth week in a row that she's bored during the, the university holidays. And it allows you an opportunity to buy her a book that will encourage her, that might bring her some direction in her life and, and sow a seed of the gospel in her life. Listening allows you to notice when the friend that you're talking with um, you know, you, when you have those times when you notice, wow, I must be the only person with whom this person shares this kind of information. And allows you to carry on that conversation perhaps longer than you would have, even if it means that you need to work overtime to make up that time that you spent with them. Listening is a vital skill. I just want to give a couple of little, little sprinkles of tips um, and one sprinkle of feedback. Um... Generally, I've tried my best to ask three more questions. When I think that I've got something to say, I've tried to cultivate this habit of asking three more questions um, about what the person's talking about before I then um, suggest or, or, um, or make, yeah, step in with my own feedback. Because I, I find that, um, yeah, that, that that's really helpful, that I actually find more about and I can give a more pointed um, or accurate answer. And before I do um, that kind of thing, I, I, I generally say something like this. Do you want to hear what I think? Or did you just want to talk that through with someone? Because it avoids that like awkward, like, I'm going to fix your problem. And then the person's like, oh, I didn't want my problem fixed. I just wanted to talk about it with someone. And I've, I found that really helpful. Because um, I, I think that we love maybe chiming in with advice way too soon. Um, oh, I've got something to say. I should get that in there straight away. But th- yeah, three more questions. That's the main thing I wanted to to add in the listening part. And the the means by which I think that we soften and nourish the hard-baked soil of the people around us is more than anything listening. So we need to to summarize, hey, that's on there. We need to understand our culture if we are to cultivate the soil for the good news of Jesus, to see where we can enter in and to understand what's going on. The pressure is stronger than ever to relegate all matters of faith to the private part of life and keep them in the realm of the sort of just the dealing with only the secondary issues. Things that have helped me are understanding really what's happening in our secular culture with a new definition of secular, that all things are contestable. To consider plausibility structures, what is or isn't making this understandable or, or green lighting for, for people. Why might they be people be turning off to this story or turning off to the way that I've described this? And most of all, more than anything else, um, we need to be people who are good at listening. Uh, over the past three years, I've worked with a woman from Iran, a Muslim woman, and she is a fiercely intelligent lady who has a doctorate in linguistics of some, some sort of description. She has a passion for refugees and a passion for migrants. And on her first day at work, uh, she mentioned the word God three times, a couple of those times referring to her and I as being people of God. And that was unusual. Um, Most of the time, God doesn't really come up. So I asked her, I was like, I can't help but notice that you've used the word God three times today. What does the word God mean to you when you say it? And then bravely and awesomely, she said, I don't trust you enough to answer that question yet. And I was like, oh, come on, assertiveness skills, love it. But as we worked together, and as I learned her passion for education, uh, her her passion and her her hope that education would eventually win out in reforming the problems of the world, 
Uh, we talked about the pillars of Islam and, and how I lived my Christian life and how those things compared. Some of the most fruitful conversations that we had were discussions about human rights and the basis for them. I shared my view that human rights aren't just something that is self-evident, which is what she was saying. And that the reason that I believe that human beings have inestimable worth is because we are made in the image of God. These were meaty, meaty conversations that you can't just strike up. Well, maybe, but generally you don't have with just somebody that you've just met. I enjoyed these conversations. And at the, we actually ended up leaving that workplace on the same day. And you know those times at the end where you have like kind words, like, oh, I've enjoyed working here and all that sort of thing. <laughs> she, um, she said this, she said, I always enjoyed our conversations. We agreed on the small things and we always disagreed on the big things. And I took that as a compliment. I'd listened, I'd asked questions, um, I'd shared all that I could. Ultimately, God is responsible for his word and, and, and what ta- happens and what takes root. That's what the parable is about. But I had worked the soil as best as I could in that relationship that I had. And that's what I've been trying to encourage us all to do with these two messages. just want to finish with this. Um, at a time that I needed to encourage myself in the Lord recently, um, I turned to reread a set of verses that had been given to me as encouragement from a few years ago. John, they were John 15, uh, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it is even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And then my other Bible, which is um, the voice translation, has these little um, sprinkles of sort of commentary in them. I was just so encouraged by what it, it had it straight after this little bit. It says this. At the time when all of his disciples are feeling as if they are about to be uprooted, Jesus sketches a picture of this new life as a flourishing vineyard. A labyrinth of vines and strong branches steeped in rich soil, abundant grapes hanging in their vines, ripening in the sun. Jesus sculpts a new garden of Eden in their imaginations, one that is bursting with fruit, sustenance, and satisfying aromas. This is the kingdom life. May this also encourage you when you're afraid and things seem hard and uncertain about this cultural time that we're in, when it's tempting to shut up shop. Would you see the beauty of the people that God has created and put around you in your life? Would you listen with ears that um, truly hear what others are saying and ask meaningful questions to prompt people to share from their lives? Father, I just pray that you would... um, Yeah, that these words would be useful, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you have promised to us that if we remain in you, if we abide in you, the source of of our life, Lord, then we will 
bear much fruit. No matter what day we're in, no matter what the culture is, no matter what time we're in, Father, your promise stands and we will remain uh, in you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your light has shined in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. Praise you, Lord. Amen.